Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. This episode deals with graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. On August 15, 1980, at around 12.30 in the morning, Los Angeles police responded to a 911 call at a house in West L.A. A man living at that address told the police that he had just discovered his roommates, a husband and his estranged wife, dead in their bedroom. The man on the 911 call said he was a medical doctor, and he was certain the two people he had just discovered had been shot. When the police arrived, they confirmed that the man and the woman in the bedroom were deceased. It appeared that both had died from a single gunshot wound to the head. The woman was lying on the bed naked. Her long, blonde hair, streaked with blood, partially covered a gunshot blast to the right side of her face. The man, who was also naked, was lying on the floor with a 12-gauge shotgun underneath his body. To the attending officers, the crime scene appeared to be a murder-suicide. The man had shot the woman first before using the gun on himself. Sadly, a not-so-uncommon occurrence and crime scene for seasoned police officers. But this particular murder-suicide would soon spread like wildfire throughout Hollywood and would reach every media outlet across North America because the woman sprawled on the bed was famous. The dead man lying on the floor wasn't, but he had just killed his beautiful wife because she had left him for another man. And he had decided that if he couldn't have her, no one could. And there were plenty of others who desired her. After her flawless beauty had been captured within the pages of Playboy magazine. For the world's most famous Playboy, Hugh Hefner, she was his rising star. The Playmate of the Year, who was breaking into television and movies. And for a renowned Hollywood director, she was his next ingenue, and hopefully his next wife. But now, just two years after arriving in Los Angeles, she was gone. 
leaving those who loved her devastated. I'm Catherine Fogarty, and in this podcast, I'm bringing you the true story of a woman whose life was brief, remarkable, and tragic. She was one in a million, a natural beauty, and a promising young actress. She was on the verge of fame and had just found true love. But then she was murdered before her life had barely begun. This is Death of a Dream, the Dorothy Stratton story. This is the Hollywood dream. Dorothy was his guilty. He looked like a what? Losing Dorothy to Peter Bogdanovich. Dorothy Ruth Hoogstraten was born on February 28, 1960, in Vancouver, British Columbia, to Dutch immigrants Nellie and Simon Hoogstraten. Dorothy's parents divorced when she was young, and she lived with her mother and two younger siblings, John and her half-sister, Louise. Her mother, Nellie Hoogstraten, struggled as a single mother after two failed marriages and often had to rely on welfare to make ends meet. When Dorothy was a teenager, she attended Centennial High School in Coquitlam, British Columbia and worked part-time at the local Dairy Queen to help her mom with the bills. Dorothy loved writing poetry and got good grades in school. After graduating, she planned to find a full-time secretarial job. But one night while working at the Dairy Queen, she caught the eye of a local guy who instantly recognized the raw beauty in the teenager in a red uniform and pigtails behind the counter. The guy was 26, a lot older in years, and much wiser in street smarts than the naive girl selling soft serve. But he knew a good thing when he spotted it. His name was Paul Snyder, and he had just discovered his ticket to fame. Paul Leslie Snyder grew up in Vancouver, British Columbia. His parents split up when he was young, and he quit school by the seventh grade. He hung out on the streets and quickly learned how to hustle a buck. Everyone on the east side of Vancouver knew who Paul Snyder was, including the police. About town, he had a reputation as a punk and a hustler who was always looking for the big score. Nobody liked him, and nobody trusted him. He wore a mink coat, drove a black Corvette, and flaunted a bejeweled Star of David around his neck. His nickname was the Jewish pimp. His dark hair and mustache were groomed impeccably, and women on the seedy nightclub circuit found him attractive. And the two things it seemed Paul could never get enough of were women and money. Snyder ran with a dangerous crowd in Vancouver, but when he ended up owing money to a rival gang, he had to leave town quickly. He moved to Los Angeles, California, where he acquired a gold limousine 
and began hustling girls for trade shows and as escorts. He tried desperately to worm his way into some powerful Hollywood circles without much success, and even tried to get a few of his girls noticed by Playboy magazine. But no one was interested in what Paul Snyder was selling. After a few years of hustling in Hollywood, Paul returned to Vancouver in 1977. He told his family he was going straight and wanted to find a more legitimate career. But Snyder couldn't change. He was always looking for a shortcut to success and wealth. One night in early 1978, he and a friend dropped into an East Vancouver Dairy Queen. And it was there that he first noticed Dorothy Ruth Hoogstraten behind the counter. She was tall, with blonde hair, blue eyes, and she had a sweet, natural look. Snyder turned to his friend and said, That girl could make me a lot of money. He got Dorothy's phone number from another waitress and called her at home. She had just turned 18. Dorothy Hoogstraten didn't know much about boys. She'd only had one high school boyfriend, and that relationship had not been a good one. But there was something about Paul Snyder that appealed to her. He was much older, attractive, and streetwise. And for the young girl who had never really had a father figure in her life, Paul offered to take care of her and spoil her. He bought her clothes and gave her a topaz ring set in diamonds. She stayed at his apartment where he would buy wine and cook dinner. And Paul told her she was beautiful, something the shy, awkward teenager had never believed about herself. Paul Snyder was very generous with Dorothy and recognized that she could be groomed into something he could exploit. But he had to be patient and careful. She wasn't like the other girls he had dealt with. She had an innate beauty and innocence that was intoxicating. In June 1978, Dorothy graduated from high school. Paul bought her a ruffled white gown and escorted her to her high school graduation dance. Dorothy was excited to start a full-time job with the British Columbia Phone Company. But her new boyfriend had a different future in mind for the new graduate. Paul took Dorothy to a local photographer named Uva Meyer for her first professional portrait. The camera loved her. About a month later, Snyder called Meyer again, this time to do a nude shoot at Snyder's apartment. Meyer later recalled that Dorothy was very nervous but relented with Snyder's subtle prodding. Do it for me, baby, he told a crying Dorothy. Paul wanted nude photos of Dorothy to submit to Playboy magazine's 25th anniversary Playmate contest for 1978. It would be their ticket to fame and fortune, he assured a reluctant Dorothy. Wanting to make sure he had the best product possible, Paul Snyder 
took Dorothy to another photographer named Ken Honey, who had an established track record with Playboy magazine. But Ken Honey refused to shoot Dorothy because she was underage and needed a parent's signature on a release form. Paul needed Dorothy's mother to agree to the photographs, so he got Dorothy to break the news. But Nellie Hoogstratton refused. She did not want her daughter posing nude for anyone. But Dorothy persisted. Paul had filled her head with visions of fame and fortune. How could her mother stand in her way? Nellie Hoogstratton finally relented and signed the release form. Ken Honey sent the set of photographs to his contact at Playboy magazine in Los Angeles. And the talent scout was definitely interested in the young blonde from Canada. On August 13, 1978, Dorothy was flown to Los Angeles for test shots with the famous men's magazine. It was the first time she had ever been on an airplane. As soon as Playboy saw Dorothy's test shots, they knew they wanted her for the magazine. She had a wholesome, girl-next-door innocence that the editors were constantly on the lookout for. It was hard not to notice the five-foot-nine beauty, and she quickly caught the attention of Playboy's founder, Hugh Hefner. He signed her to a three-year contract with Playboy and hired her to work at the famous Playboy Mansion. But at 18, Dorothy was still too young to serve alcohol to guests. So Hugh kept her on his arm and introduced her to many of his influential friends and clients. He recognized something unique and special in Dorothy and knew she was going to be a big success for Playboy. Playboy is an attempt to put together a quality entertainment magazine for an adult male audience, which brings together things of an erotic and sensual nature with things of an intellectual nature. Hugh Hefner, the man synonymous with silk pajamas and beautiful women, founded the Men's Lifestyle magazine in 1953, using a $1,000 loan from his mother. The nude centerfold in the first edition produced out of his Chicago apartment, featured a young Marilyn Monroe. The magazine, which sold for 50 cents, was an instant success and sold out quickly. Hefner had tapped into the post-war male psyche and the burgeoning sexual revolution. Within a few short years, Playboy was the most popular men's magazine in circulation. Playboy magazine eventually developed into Playboy Enterprises, a successful global media brand with a presence in numerous other enterprises, including Playboy clubs, casinos, television, clothing, and merchandising. The infamous bunny logo was everywhere. In 1978, when Dorothy signed her first contract with Playboy, the magazine was at the height of its success. Everyone's dad or older brother had a secret stash under their bed. But of course, they only read it for the articles. 
Eventually, other men's magazines like Penthouse and Hustler gained popularity in an extremely competitive, successful market. Hugh Hefner needed a star. The next Marilyn Monroe, who could pose naked on the cover of his magazine and also make the transition into becoming a legitimate Hollywood actress. And he believed he had found his leading lady in Dorothy and set about grooming her for success. The Playboy organization took her in and took care of her. And while other playmates sometimes required cosmetic surgery on their breasts or on scars, Dorothy was nearly perfect. Her only flaws were a little teenage acne and a round birthmark on her hip. Nothing that couldn't be hidden with makeup. Her shoulder-length natural blonde hair was bleached and styled. And her cumbersome last name, Hoogstratton, was shortened to Stratton. Hugh Hefner personally arranged a U.S. work visa for Dorothy and she was given a job as a Playboy bunny at the Century City Playboy Club in Los Angeles. She, like many of the other girls, was put on a strict diet and exercise regime to ensure her bunny costume would fit. If the zipper didn't close, they would be suspended from work. While Dorothy worked at the Playboy Club and posed for the organization's photographers, Paul Snyder continued to control her career and spend the money she was earning. For both Playboy and Paul, Dorothy was a valuable commodity. In the spring of 1979, Dorothy was named a Playmate of the Month. Her star was on the rise. As soon as Paul Snyder learned of her selection, he proposed. His investment in Dorothy was paying off, and it was time to lock her down. Friends and family tried to dissuade Dorothy from marrying Paul, saying it could hold back her career. But she said she couldn't ever imagine being with any other man but Paul. She was still a shy girl from British Columbia, and she was suddenly attracting a lot of attention from men. She knew Paul. He made her feel safe. And he was quick to remind her that the two of them had what he called a lifetime bargain. He had discovered her after all, so she owed him. Dorothy accepted his marriage proposal, and they moved into a modest apartment in West Los Angeles. Dorothy had made some new friends in Los Angeles, but no one liked Paul. While she was sweet and kind, he was loud and full of himself. Hugh Hefner really disliked Paul. He thought he was sleazy and bad for Dorothy. During a party at the Playboy Mansion, someone had caught Paul in the mansion's famous water grotto with another woman. From that moment forward, Paul was banned from coming to the Playboy Mansion unless Dorothy was with him. Dorothy Stratton and Paul Snyder were married in Las Vegas on June 1, 1979. 
Dorothy waited several weeks before telling her mother about the marriage. Two months later, her August Playmate of the Month photo shoot hit the newsstands. She was an instant success and soon after made her television debut on Playboy's Roller Disco and Pajama Party on ABC. Hugh Hefner invites you to Playboy's Roller Disco and Pajama Party. This is the Playboy Mansion West in Los Angeles, an incredibly well-built house. It seems everything around here is well-built. Dorothy then began getting small parts in popular television shows at the time, like Fantasy Island and Buck Rogers in the 25th century. In the summer of 1979, Dorothy returned to Canada for a promotional tour of the provinces. Paul Snyder did not go with her because Playboy wanted their marriage kept secret. In her hometown of Vancouver, Dorothy was greeted like a celebrity. She was the local girl who had gone from the Dairy Queen to Playboy magazine. But few knew of her inner turmoil. During the fall of 1979, Dorothy was busy modeling or filming, and the hectic schedule began having an impact on her health. She was losing too much weight and was sometimes having difficulty composing herself on the set. But her new husband was certainly not feeling any of the same stresses. And with Dorothy making more money, life was looking good for the former street hustler. Paul decided they should move into a better place and found them a two-story Spanish-style stucco house near the Santa Monica Freeway in West L.A. They had one roommate, a young doctor, who Paul had met at the Century City Playboy Club. Paul furnished the house with photographs of Dorothy and had a new Mercedes parked in the driveway. He talked about Dorothy as the next Marilyn Monroe and said when they hit it big, they would move to Bel Air Estates where the stars lived. We're on a rocket ship to the moon, baby, he would tell her. Paul was living large and pushing Dorothy to do more. And he wanted absolute control over her financial affairs and the job offers she accepted. Dorothy finally went to a doctor and asked for a prescription for Valium. She needed something to calm her nerves and help deal with the growing stresses of her work and dealing with Paul. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips and adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. By the beginning of 1980, just two years after arriving in Los Angeles, Dorothy's career took off. She was named the 1980 Playmate of the Year, the first Canadian ever selected. And she had landed her first title role in a science fiction comedy called Galaxina. Dorothy was smart, beautiful, and she could act, a rare combination that did not go unnoticed in Hollywood. And one filmmaker in particular had already taken a keen interest in the Canadian playmate. Peter Bogdanovich was a well-respected director who had achieved early success with a coming-of-age drama called The Last Picture Show in 1971, which received eight Academy Award nominations and won two. His next film, called What's Up, Doc?, starring Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill, was a huge box office success in 1972. And his 1973 film, Paper Moon, introduced the world to 10-year-old Tatum O'Neill, who won an Oscar for her performance. Born in New York in 1939, Bogdanovich began his career as a film programmer at the Museum of Modern Art. But his dream was to direct, so in 1966, he headed to Los Angeles, where he became good friends with Orson Welles and other Hollywood elite. His early success as a director led to other collaborations with famous celebrities. 
but he had a habit of falling in love with his leading ladies. In 1971, he left his wife of 10 years for a young model named Sybil Shepherd that he had cast in one of his films. And while his first three movies were well-received, his next two, starring his lover, Sybil Shepherd, were box office disasters. Soon, the phone stopped ringing, and Bogdanovich was out of work. In 1978, Peter Bogdanovich was desperately trying to revitalize his directing career and his love life after he and Sybil Shepherd had split up. As a single bachelor in Hollywood, he began hanging out at the Playboy Mansion, where he became good friends with Hugh Hefner. And it was there that he was first introduced to 18-year-old Dorothy Stratton at a Halloween costume party. The 39-year-old director was immediately smitten by the beautiful young blonde. She had a curious combination of sensual appeal and vulnerability. He gave her his name and number and really hoped she would call. But she didn't. Their paths wouldn't cross again until a year later in 1980 when they ran into each other at the Playboy Mansion. Bogdanovich thought she was more beautiful than he had ever remembered, but Dorothy soon informed him that she was now married. Bogdanovich told Dorothy he was casting for his new film and asked if she would be interested in reading for him. She said she would. The new project was a romantic comedy called They All Laughed, starring Audrey Hepburn and John Ritter. Filming began in March in New York City, and Dorothy went without Paul. She was finally becoming more confident and independent. She also had a new agent and manager who were guiding her career choices and keeping Paul out of the loop. But Dorothy felt indebted to Paul Snyder. After all, he had discovered her and encouraged her to pose for Playboy. She still cared for him, but his Svengali-like hold over her had worn thin. There was a new man in Dorothy's life, and as far as she was concerned, he was her knight in shining armor. 20-year-old Dorothy Stratton had fallen in love with Peter Bogdanovich, her new director who was twice her age. And Peter had fallen just as hard. It wasn't long before other people on the New York movie set realized the two were together. And years later, Bogdanovich would admit to rewriting the movie script to add a major role for Dorothy in the film. While Dorothy was filming in New York, Paul Snyder was house hunting in Los Angeles. He wanted Dorothy to use the $200,000 she had received for being named Playmate of the Year to purchase a house. It would be a good investment for their future, he told her, and they could start planning a family. But Paul could sense Dorothy was reluctant to commit and was less attentive to his demands. She now had others directing her career, thereby shutting Paul out. But he suspected 
there was something else or someone else coming between him and his wife. He believed that she was having an affair with Peter Bogdanovich. So he hired a private investigator named Mark Goldstein to begin following her. Snyder wanted Goldstein to document Dorothy's affair with Bogdanovich in order to sue the director for enticement to breach a management contract, an agreement Snyder believed inherent within his marriage contract. Dorothy was his golden goose, and he wasn't prepared to let her go. But Dorothy was letting go of Paul Snyder and her marriage. She wanted to be with Peter. Early in their romance, Bogdanovich had presented Dorothy with a little unicorn pin because he said her purity and grace reminded him of the mythical creature. Dorothy began collecting unicorns. In May 1980, Dorothy went home to Vancouver for her mother's third marriage and to spend time with her little sister. Twelve-year-old Louise worshipped Dorothy, and Dorothy adored her younger sister. While back in Canada, she decided that she needed to make changes in her life. In the two short years since she had left Vancouver, her world had exploded. Fame and fortune had found her. But more importantly, she had found true love. When Dorothy flew back to Los Angeles in July, she did not return to the Santa Monica home she shared with Paul Snyder. She moved into Peter Bogdanovich's mansion in Bel Air and told Paul that their marriage was over. A week after her return to Los Angeles, Dorothy left again for a Playmate promotion in Texas. She was happy, in love, and finally felt in control of her own destiny. The future looked bright. She had been approached about playing Marilyn Monroe in a made-for-TV movie. She had appeared on the Johnny Carson show. And she was being considered for a leading role in a new television series called Charlie's Angels. But while Dorothy was anxious to move on, she still had some feelings for Paul and wanted to be fair with him in their divorce. She closed their joint bank account but started sending Paul money through her business manager. But for Paul, his marriage to Dorothy wasn't just about the money. Her fame was his connection to Hollywood and if they divorced, he would likely have to go back to Canada. He needed another meal ticket, so he began grooming another young woman for Playboy. 17-year-old Patty Lorman moved in with Paul. He taught her how to walk and model like Dorothy, but he soon discovered that Hugh Hefner and Playboy wanted nothing to do with him. As far as they were concerned, he was nothing but a sleazy promoter and Dorothy was well rid of him. Paul was desperate, but he had one money-making opportunity left. Just before they married, Dorothy had posed for some racy photos 
they planned to turn into a poster. If they sold one million copies, Paul could make over $300,000. And he needed that money. But when shown the final photos, Dorothy turned them down. She wasn't interested in any further business dealings with her former husband. She told him she would be fair with him, but she wanted a divorce so she could move on with her life, which included marrying Peter Bogdanovich. But Paul Snyder wasn't planning on letting Dorothy move on with anyone else but him. He discovered her. He groomed her. She owed him. On August 14, 1980, Dorothy met Paul at their former house in West Los Angeles to discuss a financial settlement. Hoping to assure him that she would be generous in their divorce, she had finally agreed to meet face-to-face. He had been harassing her for weeks. She left Peter Bogdanovich's home that morning, telling him she would only be a few hours. When Dorothy parked her 1967 Mercury outside Paul's house, she did not see the man sitting in another car on the street watching her. It was Mark Goldstein, the private investigator Paul Snyder had hired to follow Dorothy. Mark waited outside the house for a couple of hours before calling Paul to check in. Using a secret code, Paul told Mark that the meeting with Dorothy was going well. A couple of hours later, Mark tried to call Paul back, but never got an answer. Maybe things were going really well for the couple, he thought, so he decided to leave. Later that same afternoon, Paul Snyder's new 17-year-old girlfriend, Patty Lorman, returned to their house with a friend to pick up her roller skates. Noticing Dorothy's car outside, and seeing Paul's bedroom door closed, she decided not to knock and left the house. Later that evening, Mark Goldstein, the private investigator, phoned Patty and asked her to check on Paul and Dorothy, as he had not heard from Paul since earlier that afternoon. Patty still did not want to enter Paul's bedroom, so she asked Paul's other roommate, Dr. Stephen Kushner, to check on them. Kushner knocked on the bedroom door around 12.30 that night, but there was still no response. He couldn't hear any movement inside. He called out to Paul, but again, no reply. Checking the door handle, it wasn't locked, so he finally opened the door and was greeted by a horrific sight. Paul Snyder was lying naked, face down on the floor, with a large pool of blood surrounding his head. Strands of long blonde hair were clutched in his right fist. Dorothy was lying naked on the bed, with an obvious gunshot wound to her face and head. The doctor knew right away that they were both dead and called 911. Police investigators later determined that Paul had raped and sodomized Dorothy before shooting her in the face. 
He then turned the gun on himself. The police also discovered that Paul Snyder had been trying to obtain a gun for a few weeks prior to the murder-suicide. He had finally purchased a 12-gauge shotgun. Dorothy's murder had been planned. If he couldn't have her, no one could. And there was another man who was anxious to start a new life with Dorothy Stratton. Peter Bogdanovich had fallen deeply in love with the 20-year-old beauty and wanted to marry her once her divorce from Paul Snyder was final. I could hardly believe that she really existed and that she wasn't a dream, he said years later of their love affair. There was something miraculous about Dorothy Stratton. In the early morning of August 15, 1980, Peter Bogdanovich received a phone call that would change his life forever. It was Hugh Hefner on the phone, telling him that Dorothy had been murdered by Paul Snyder. I screamed, he later wrote. I fell to the floor and curled into a ball. His world had just collapsed and he couldn't believe Dorothy was gone, his precious unicorn. Peter had just started editing the film they had worked on in New York. He couldn't wait to show the world how talented she was. And now, she was never coming back. Peter could not process the news he had just heard. But there was another immediate concern. On the day of the murder, Dorothy's 12-year-old sister, Louise, was staying at his house. She had come for a summer visit from Vancouver. How was Peter going to break the news to Louise, who idolized her big sister? He couldn't bring himself to tell Louise what had happened, so he lied and told her that Dorothy had gone to New York. And then he kept the young girl away from the television. The murder of Playboy's Playmate of the Year spread quickly throughout Hollywood and across every North American media platform at the time. The death of Dorothy Stratton comes as a shock to all of us, read a statement from Playboy publisher Hugh Hefner. She was a beautiful and talented woman and a special friend of the Playboy family. A few days after the murder, Peter finally broke the news to Dorothy's real family, her sister Louise. Overcome by grief, Louise hid in her bedroom for days. And Dorothy's mother, Nellie Hoogstratton, refused to talk about the murder with anyone, even her young daughter. Those who had known Dorothy were devastated by her senseless murder. They knew that her kindness and her ability to see the good in people, including her estranged husband, had ultimately gotten her killed. Dorothy had gone to see Paul in the hopes of maintaining an amicable relationship. But it was a trap, and he was never going to let Dorothy move on without him. But as news of her murder spread, and reporters dug further into Dorothy's sudden fame, Questions arose 
about her relationship with Playboy Enterprises and its founder, Hugh Hefner. Were other forces at play? A confluence of events that led to her death? And were others to blame for the heartbreaking tragedy? Peter Bogdanovich thought so, and he was planning to tell the world exactly who he believed had contributed to Dorothy Stratton's death. Yes, Paul Snyder had pulled the trigger. But three years after her murder, Bogdanovich was about to blow up Hollywood with a tell-all book about the all-too-short life of the beautiful Dorothy Stratton. On the next episode of Death of a Dream, the Dorothy Stratton story, life in Los Angeles moves on after the brutal murder of Dorothy Stratton in August of 1980. In Death, her tragic life story will become fodder for Hollywood producers, and other beautiful young women will follow in her footsteps, posing for Playboy magazine, chasing dreams of fame and fortune. But for those closest to Dorothy, her tragic murder has left a deep wound and a sadness they cannot overcome. And for the man who truly loved her, her death is unbearable. Peter Bogdanovich gives up his successful directing career to write a book about Dorothy. He wants people to know about their love and who Dorothy truly was beyond a Playboy centerfold. But more importantly, Peter Bogdanovich wants the world to know what really happened to Dorothy when she arrived in Los Angeles as a shy 18-year-old girl from Vancouver. Paul Snyder was the first man to exploit Dorothy, but according to Bogdanovich, he was far from the last. Bogdanovich will expose the underbelly of Hollywood and make some powerful enemies. But will he be prepared to justify his own actions when he is accused of taking his everlasting love for Dorothy too far? This is the Story Hunter Productions podcast, written and produced by Catherine Fogarty. Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. Visit us at storyhunterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter to get more information and updates about new podcasts. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you enjoyed this story and others, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And feel free to leave us a review. We appreciate you listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.